The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? We are at episode nine of season three of the Drum Candy Podcast, and this is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I was lucky enough to interview one of my all-time favorite drummers, Tim Alexander of the legendary band Primus. He has a new project called Sound Cipher. It is with Skerrick on saxophone and effects and Tim Mason on modular synths and bass. And their record is just coming out, and they have a couple shows. We wanted to get this episode out um, before these shows here. So on April 21st, they will be in Seattle at Clock Out Lounge. And then on April 22nd, they will be in Portland at Star Theater. This is an all-improvised project. Um, so the record is really cool. Go check it out. It's a lot of kind of soundscapey, you know, kind of textbook Tim grooves with some cool textures and, and improvisation. So it's a really, really cool project. We talk about that. And I had him humor me and talk about all of his kits over the years. So um, this is a lot of fun. So let's get right to it with Tim Alexander. You're punctual. Are you always on time for everything? <laughs> um, you know, I actually... You know, I really, I try to be, I don't okay. know why, but yes, it's very much, uh, something that really annoys me is, is if I'm late or whatever, yeah. like really, really, uh, like I get super stressed out cause you know, I'm, I'm timing my, okay, I've got 20 minutes to drive, then we should leave here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I start getting really stressed. I don't know what the hell it is. It's just <laughs> crazy. How does that gel with the rock star life, though? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Usually, you know, we're pretty on schedule when we're okay. on tour. Um, it's just the thing of, like, when you have something to do, you know, especially... Uh, when we're on tour, if there's shows or, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly, a fairly concise time frame of, you know, sound check time, uh, you know, dinner will be out at five, you know, and, and then there's a couple hours before the show starts. So, you know, it's, it's not super rigid, but yes, there's time frames there. So. I, I I don't know what it is. It's just when I'm home, I'm super, super crazy. But this, yeah, I just, um, I had, I'm, I'm in the middle of literally moving. Our house is half empty. That's what Kevin says. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So luckily I have this other space where I have some drums and I, I do painting and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I, I rushed over here like, okay, <laughs> so it's pretty unexciting in the background. Not as cool as yours. Shoot. Yeah. That's no, great. Got some, got some, some concert toms in your honor over here. <laughs> oh, nice. Over here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Man. Wow. So what's I, happening? Um, I'm going to just nerd out and ask you a bunch of nerdy drum questions. So thank you for humoring me with this. 
Gosh, well, where do we begin? First of all, thanks for taking the time. I know it's a hectic period. So um, the first question I was going to ask is, do you keep a lot of drums at home? And are you having to move like a truckload of drums around? Um, it's not a truckload, but over the years, there are some. But here's the thing. I live in, currently, I live in Washington, about an hour and a half north of Seattle. Um. I'm moving back to the Bay Area right now where we have our Primus uh, rehearsal space and recording space. And so hopefully I'm going to be bringing my stuff and kind of storing it there. So I'll have all, hopefully all my stuff will be in the same area. Mm. Now it's been 30 some years since I, had all my stuff in one place so (laughs) so right now yeah right now in that little room behind me i just have a what is it a three four five six a seven piece kit you know three toms two floors kick and snare just just um no recording setup right now my the house i was in the basement flooded at christmas day Mm. and it ruined the power supply to one of my digital recorder converters uh, the apollo and you can't get them i can't get a power supply for this thing Mm. it's been i've ordered it it's been on hold for months now like so i don't have a recording setup (laughs) so that's kind of annoying but yeah i just have a little kit here and um you know got some electric drums electric kit which is fun too it's fun to have all the different sounds going you know what do you do when you play drums in that space is it preparing for tours are you working out ideas what's it used for yeah um well i just moved in a couple months ago i haven't been playing much i've been focusing on um painting like art mm, cool and um but right now we have i have the sound cypher shows coming up mm-hmm. so i'm trying to what mainly what i'll do is i'll just approach it like i just got to get my arms moving get the muscles moving you know so they so that i don't cause any unnecessary pain from you know doing nothing and then all of a sudden playing a bunch mm-hmm. and um and we also have a benefit for a friend of ours in la uh coming up also so That's with primus yeah primus and a bunch of other people um i i think i think danny and justin from tool are gonna come help play some and you know whoever else <laughs> cool so yeah who determines this i mean what's the set list do you do you just figure it out when you get there or you guys figure it out ahead of time um we're going to have a rehearsal day okay be- beforehand just to because we haven't played in a while um so we're going to have a rehearsal day to kind of get things moving and let less kind of sent if ideas of just like five or seven primus tunes and a couple two tool songs and 
maybe a cover or two, you know. So that's all I know. I was searching around YouTube today and I forgot that you guys did a full rush record on the last tour. Oh man, we've been doing that for two years. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, we did Farewell to Kings, you know, top to bottom. So are you gonna ever do that again or is that like thank no, God I it's over? <laughs> yeah, we're done. It was oddly stressful, you know. I bet cause because that those those parts are so iconic for everyone who's a Russian. They fan. are and they're harder than they're they're harder than we thought, you know? <laughs> Cause we we uh you know, we've played rush songs before. Usually it's only the main riffs that we can remember and yeah. But um you know, and so the idea was being talked about and then you know, it became a reality and then we started to learn the songs. Mm. So we had already said it's happening and now we're starting to learn it and realizing oh shit, this stuff's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting you know we're already committed and um but it went really well and um yeah so we've been doing it for a couple of years but yeah we're done now and um that's it for the rush stuff you know we might play a song here and there how many shows in did it before it felt like okay now we've we've got it down or were you ready before you hit the road um no gosh i think it's different for everybody but for me it was you know in the beginning it was definitely a lot of focus on trying to make sure it was as close to the record as i could um even that, I would say I was 80 to 90% there. And then, you know, I used to pressure myself, like trying to get it. And then I would watch some live rush. And then I realized, oh, Neil actually changed his parts over time, probably found out what felt better to do, you know? Mm. And, um, with that in mind, then I, I kind of was like, okay, I don't have to be so, so stuck to the idea of note for note. Although it was, it was pretty close. Some of the fills, um, uh, not fills. I don't like to say that, but some of the, uh, things that Neil would do, I would, try to emulate best I could, but I, I just couldn't figure out some of the stuff, you know, mm -hmm. just the way, the way the, the, cause I know he had a, he, he had a jazz influence, uh, like buddy rich was, I think one of his big favorites. And sometimes I would hear like some of the fills and like Cygnus. And I would, I, I wondered if he was actually doing like double strokes, mm. I I do pretty much single stroke everything. And I when, when I watched him live, he did everything single stroke too. But I was it it sometimes it sounded 
like he was incorporating a little bit of the a, a jazzier thing to it. I don't know. Mm. Anyways, I couldn't <laughs> to summarize. I couldn't get it exact. <laughs> um, about building just, out the on, kit? on a few, few really particular parts, you know? Yeah. But overall, I'd say it's like, you know, 85, 90% like the record, you know? And, um, but we weren't trying to be a cover band as well. We're, yeah. we're kind of just doing a tribute to them. So but we all we wanted we wanted it to sound like as official as it could you know mm. <laughs> so yeah i mean that's i would never no way would i try that <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you spend weird, a lot of time man, building out the to, kit like, yeah i it? used to i used to play that stuff in my when i was learning in my teens right and then here I am 40 years later trying to do it. And it's physically very different when you have 40 years. <laughs> I mean, wear and tear yeah. on the body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess Neil would, would say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, I mean, had you been listening to that record at all in the past 20 years or so? Uh, not really. Not until we started diving into it. And then it was like, okay, I, I have to start. Um, because for me, I know we're doing the album a certain way. So to learn it, I like to learn it in that order. Mm. So I'll start right at the beginning, go as far as I can. And then as soon as I hit a hiccup, I'll stop and then go back and 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 just slowly build it that way you know mm. and um that way i knew when we're playing it live i've built all of the patterns in my in the movements that i'm doing you know the muscles are already doing that a certain way each time and and there's a it, it kind of works. I I I don't like to learn the last song and then move to the middle and then mm. then jump to the beginning and then go back towards the end. And um, I, I I have to have it kind of flow. So makes sense. That's how I that's how I learned it. Yeah. Now was was it your basic setup that you modified, or did you start with a whole new setup for that? Yeah, we did a whole new setup. I kind of did um more of a neil pert set um back in the 70s mm -hmm. so i had two 24 inch kick drums Ooh. <laughs> yeah and the toms were more uh traditional size like uh, yeah i think they were traditional they actually might be a little longer than traditional so it was a, a way bigger kit mm-hmm I have been playing for the last 10 years or whatever it's been. Um, well, actually, I think I've always, yeah, I've never really played a kit this big with the larger sizes and larger, larger depths in the, in the toms. So, but yeah, I just kind of redid it. Mm. And, it, and, it, and, it, and I like it now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to playing that now after doing it for a couple of years. So 
I'll probably hang on to that vibe of bigger oh, wow. bass drums and yeah, everything's sitting up higher. So have you used 24s before? No, only, uh, you know, I, I have, but only for, um, an external, we have, and some of the songs off of the green Naugahyde record, uh, Jay Lane used a more open drum sound mm. or actually no. Yeah. It was that. And on the Brown album, some of the bass drum sounds were like unmuffled almost. Mm -hmm. So really just, Oh, you know, it rings. So we had that, I had that sitting way over next to my big, my floor Tom. And we had a really long pedal extension. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, really long. I mean, about seven feet long. <laughs> and so when it was time, I had a pedal sitting to the right of my regular bass drum pedal. So whenever I need to hit the big boom sound, I just kind of <laughs> slide my foot over and hit it, you know. Is there any kind of lag with that? That seems like it'd be slow motion that much. <laughs> linkage no uh because you can feel it in your foot hmm. so it's 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 i mean it's feels like it's instantaneous you know hmm. okay i mean it's like a double pedal they're mechanically connected yeah just a longer so rod i guess yeah yeah it's a rod so i i don't know physics that well but you know, they seem to, they're, they're connected physically. So when you push one side, the other side turns, mm -hmm. I don't, I've never noticed a lag. Plus I can feel it coming through the foot when I hit it. So that's my timing right there. I can feel when I'm, I can feel the vibration when it hits. Mm. You know? Do you use like a sub bass kicker on your throne or anything like that? I used to. Um, and it really helps a lot. Yeah. So we don't have to have, and we use in-ears on stage. So yeah, it feels way better to have that vibration going on for all the bass frequencies. It seems like, it seems like lately, um, it wasn't working or something. And then it just kind of faded out like i don't think i've been using it so hmm. yeah so do you ever play a four-piece kit <laughs> <laughs> um not like officially no <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen you on a four-piece kit in any, any scenario yeah you know i the thought about that to me is, um, I don't know. I like, I like having different sounds. Mm -hmm. it's, if I'm, you know, if I'm actually working on like Primus music or something, um, I like having a variety of sounds. So that's why I have, you know, the, the drums that I do, but, um, a four piece is, kind of forces me to be pretty 
like just playing kick snare hi-hat all the time mm-hmm. um i don't know i feel i feel i feel like it kind of uh puts me in a box you know mm-hmm. which for certain music it's fine you know but um i think for primus stuff i i'm not sure even the sound cipher i can i do a lot of focusing on uh so it's it's a mixture i'll, I'll play grooves to so that because the other parts that they're doing can be kind of wild so i'll mm-hmm. kind of uh give it a feel you know but also i'll break away from that you know and just uh go for rhythms and breaking up patterns and having no groove at all mm-hmm. you know um and it's a it's an all improvised show when we play and we recorded when we recorded that we hadn't played live very i think i think we played live once or twice gosh i can't even remember if we played live before that um oh no sorry we did not so we went into the studio with the concept Mm. And it, we, at first, it was just me and Skerrick. Um, we were just going to make some music, not sure what it was going to be. And then um, uh, the producer, this guy, Randall Dunn, he uh, was going to be the engineer, the producer, mixer. And he brought in... Um, another guy his name's tim mason so he brought him in uh he brought tim in to kind of put together just like these sequences just with a computer to kind of give us something to play to in a way mm. to keep time and because it's all really syncopated stuff um and it became such a strong part of the music that it, it it instead of just me and Skerrick, it turned into a trio with Tim. And uh, have you heard it? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's do it oh, once yeah. today. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask what how it was made because it, it. I want. I want to know how much. I mean, what of what you're hearing on the record? Yeah. How much was that was done in the room versus going back later and like putting it together or was it layered or how, cause it sounds, it's such a soundscape. It's kind of hard to figure yeah, out. So, so the record I think is more, uh, is the listening experience of having this, this music that's not only me and Skerrick and Tim, but also the uh, the art of mixing and making it sound the way it does, because that is that record is not like oh let's let's get a real true recording of you know what I sound like behind the drums or you know or what Skerrick sounds like you know Skerrick runs all runs his saxophone through so many electronics and 
warps the sound and does so much. And that's what we were going for as well with the drums and uh, with the sequencers too. Um, and so I think the recording is, is a whole different animal, mm. you know? And I, I kind of, I kind of really like listening to records versus live. I think they're two separate things mm-hmm. because when they, when you make a record, any record, unless it's, unless it's really something that's showing the performance of these musicians, I think a record, um, it's never really just a straight representation. That would be a live record where, okay, the most likely there's not much editing to this and, you know, fixing things and redo retracking parts, but, um, studio records, that's, you know, you get multiple takes and you can edit out stuff. You can replay stuff. You can do all kinds of stuff. So, um, I really like the idea of having the record be its own thing and it can be as wild and crazy as you want uh, live we don't try to mimic that mm-hmm. and it's it's a completely different approach will there be so, sequences on stage too oh um what i mean by sequences is uh tim the other tim he's creating those live okay so it'll be so different a lot the of time. arpeggiated mm-hmm. synthesizers and yeah he, it's not it's not like a modern synth i think he uses um some more traditional older style where he has to plug everything in and make it happen so super cool it, it's it's interesting yeah and you know i we've only played a couple times live and we've made this record and we have two shows coming up as well. Um, this month, April 21st and 22nd. So how do you rehearse with that project then? Or do you not? Uh, we're, we're going to get together the day before and, um, or, or is it, yeah, the day before. I think they're good. I think Skerrick and Tim will get together uh, two days before to get all of the electronics working because I think I think there's some technical stuff that has to happen so that all of the electronics are talking to each other. Mm. Time uh, to keep the tempos in sync with effects and. So I think there's some electronic things that has to be, at least it was the last time we did it. (laughs) And um, so, yeah. So what does that mean? You have to kind of use the, the arpeggiator as your metronome then? Um, Or do you drop a click in? How How do you keep track of it? I, well, I just listened to it. Mm -hmm. I want, I was, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to try to use some effects, Mm. um, some delays and stuff. I don't know if I'm set up right now for it. So we'll see. 
because because we don't have a full sound stage sound you know a monitor man and or um i'm sorry a monitor we don't have a monitor person or are all of the uh, things necessary you know so that everyone can have their own mixes yeah. and run sounds back and forth so from a board and into the pedals like that's how i've done it before where i had some delay pedals and things where i would have a mix from the monitors that were sent to me into my pedals then i could control the pedals while i'm playing oh cool oh yeah it was super fun they're like guitar pedals you know just delays and weird synth sounds very cool um but I'm going to try to maybe incorporate that this time. You know, like I said, we don't have a full, full sound thing. We're just, I think we're just kind of dealing with what's at the club and then we'll mm -hmm. just try to make it work. But, um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's experimental. Orcs Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Is there is there plans for more shows after the release? I mean, what is this, what is this project's status? Currently, uh, there's just these two shows right now. Okay. Um, and since the record's just coming out, I think these shows are... Or, or and also i think on the 24th we're going to do a live stream great I'll so yeah it. yeah sound cypher facebook's probably got all the information there um, do you uh take your own kit or are you going to rent something what's the setup yeah so it is crazy right now um so my drums are here i have to fly to la do a couple show, do the benefit, a rehearsal on a benefit. I'm going to go home for a couple days. I'm going to fly back up here. I'm going to get a U-Haul. I'm going to grab, and then I got a couple movers. I'm just going to load a U-Haul up with all of my studio stuff. Then I'm going to go down to Seattle and do the shows, do the live stream. Then I'm going to take the U-Haul back down to San Francisco area. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so yeah it's kind of like i just i'm just kind of taking it as it comes because <laughs> like... I'm, I'm realizing like if I'm, I'm trying to keep track of it all in my head you know and it's just overwhelming so I, I i can't think about it too much i just have to i just have to just kind of make a rough plan mm -hmm. grab all my stuff <laughs> you know, and get down to Seattle so we can rehearse and then do the shows and and then do that live stream. Then I can go home. And home yeah. is now San Francisco? Yeah, it's down in that area. Okay. Yeah. The Bay Area. Yeah. That's where you know, that's where we 
that's where the primus started mm. so it's kind of it's home for me even though i've been up here for 12 years now it's still just the bay area is like home to me so i really like it there well that mean that that the band will be able to rehearse more regularly record more I mean, what's good what's exactly it won't require so much of me leaving town here leaving the family then i can be down there yeah and i could just get together with less and larry lives in la so he's a little bit further away he's he's a five-hour drive so but he mm. could you know, he could easily come up with no real major effort um but yeah and that's that's my goal is to get down there and really start making some working on some good stuff on the next primus stuff hopefully coming very cool and then you know for the sound cipher i really want to uh since it is kind of a improv thing you know we we have to be playing mm -hmm. so i think these first two shows are to kind of you know we'll, we'll probably make some footage of it and get it out so people can see what it is and yeah and then i don't know maybe we'll come around where are you located pittsburgh pittsburgh yeah okay that's a bit of a drive <laughs> yeah yeah i'd be there otherwise yeah right right yeah i was in new york for almost 17 years so a change of pace to go to pittsburgh oh yeah you were right. in new york city yeah new jersey but you know we worked in new york yeah jersey right okay yeah much different pace but yeah it's been oh, cool. yeah. <clears throat> i want to kind of trace through the evolution of your drum kits if you'll humor me for a few minutes oh yeah sure what did you start with when you were 13 when you got your first kit so um yeah i was about 13 and what i can remember is i think i got kind of like a amateur snare drum and bass drum and I think it had like one floor tom, like a real kind of toy kit almost. Mm -hmm. But somewhere, I think a friend or somebody loaned me a couple really big, like super long toms. I remember having those. And, you know, I, I just lived in an apartment, so they were sitting right next to my bed. Mm-hmm. But uh, the very beginning, the very, very beginning started on a couch with pillows. Mm. So I would play to Elvis. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I had an H. I had an eight track. Well, my mom had an eight track player and we had an Elvis eight track. And so I used to listen to that and I would play along to the concert and it was live in madison square garden um it's pretty you know well-known elvis concert that was recorded and so i used to do that on the couch and i got to see him twice when i was you know a kid that's awesome uh, 
got to see him live, do that live and watch Ronnie Tut was the yeah. drummer. Uh. And, and gosh, man, I recently, I listened to that record. I was like, Oh my God, man. Ronnie Tut was amazing. Yeah. He's playing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for what that music is kind of country kind of, you know, whatever the bluesy rocky country esque uh yeah man he was double bass concert tom kit mm -hmm. yeah so that was a big influence and I, I i probably am am more influenced by that than i realize yeah now that i think about it yeah it makes sense double bass kit big kit <laughs> yeah because he was doing all that with elvis you know and and um uh, so that was my start mm -hmm. of banging on pillows to that concert. And then when I finally got a first drum set. Yeah, I was 13. I, and I told you about that little drum set. Then I finally, I think I must have been around 15 or 16, where I finally got a real one. It was a Ludwig had a wood grain to it and and um i think that drum set is the one that i used on suck on this oh wow cool yeah it was a roto tom and it was like a five-piece kit wood grain and i added a roto tom so i could have that third tom in the front you know okay um just for a higher sound and so yeah and then from there it, even frizzle fry no yeah even frizzle fry i think was on that ludwig kit and i ended up selling that to a friend of a friend so um few hundred bucks or something <laughs> mm, yeah of course yep 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 <laughs> i kind of wish i had it because yeah it's it was on the suck on this it was frizzle fry um and then i ended up buying a gretch kit uh a six piece from an old primus drummer mm. and then i ended up uh I think I sold it to Les. So I think he has it. Is that the one from the John the Fisherman video? E it's like a reddish finish. Like reddish. A, yeah. Wine red or something. Or yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's wood green, but it's red. And that's a Gretsch kit, I think. Gosh, I is that? Yeah. Is that the Gretsch kit? Hmm. I got, I don't remember. It's a Gretsch kid in that video and it's reddish. So that must be. Okay. It. That's probably the one because on suck on this, the live one, um, that was my Ludwig kit. And, and, and I had that, I had that drum set for a long time. I played it in a band in Arizona. Uh, when I started, when I was 18. Yeah. I think I was about 18. And I played, and those are the mid '80s. I used that same drum set, and then I joined Primus. And I had the same drum set and kept kept going. And then yeah, I got the Gretsch, 
And then I moved up after that when we did Seize a Cheese. I bought this custom made pork pie drum set. Right. Yeah. That's what I really remember the big most. and yeah. really it sounded great. And that that kit currently is in the Musical Instruments Museum in Scottsdale. Oh, amazing. Cool. Yeah. Do you go yeah, visit so it every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. And um, so that kid is there. Then from there, I went to Tama. And um, I, I had a light brown kit that I used on the... So I used the pork pie for sailing the seas of cheese and pork soda. And then I used the Tama came along during Tales of the Punch Bowl. And um, and then from there, it's just been Tama since mm. then. And then after the Punch Bowl kit, I, I got a green concert Tom kit when I kind of, uh, when I left Primus for a while and I did some of the attention deficit on that, my band laundry. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it was like a seven piece concert Tom kit with Octobons and it was blue. It was on the cover, I think of drum magazine. Mm -hmm. I remember it uh, a long time ago. Was it, I think it was the cover might've been just an article in it, but, um, yeah, and then from there, um, oh, I had a white, kind of had a white regular uh, two-headed kit uh, when we got back together in the 2000s and did the Animals, the Animals EP, Animals, what is it? Animals should not act like people. Um. And so we recorded, you know, about four, I think it's like four or five tunes. And I had that kid and we toured, uh, we did a couple tours back then. And that was a white Tama kit, uh, you know, kind of a more of a traditional big prog kit, you know? Mm -hmm. And then from that, then we had a lot of just downtime. We didn't do anything Primus wise for a long time. And then, um, and then I ended up not doing the next record, which was that green Naugahyde record. Well, after tales in the punch bowl, Primus did the Brown wreck Brown album with brain mm -hmm. and anti-pop with brain and then we got back together in the 2000s and did some stuff and then didn't do anything and then they i did not join the band and they in the 2010 ish i think they did green Naugahyde with jay lane and then after that i came back in and, and so that was from we did the chocolate factory record mm -hmm. so up until now and um yeah i've got this real pretty 
killer um, concert tom chocolatey looking drum set. Is that the one I'm looking at now? Because I've got a picture of one. Is it all concert toms? Yeah. Yeah, and you've got a like a satellite bass drum overway on your right. That's that twenty four. That oh, it is for the big boom sounds. Yeah. Okay. They call it the boom kick. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that one with the octobons in the front. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at kind of sparsed out. So I kind of tried to bring everything a little bit straighter ahead, so I wasn't twisting so much. Mm -hmm. And. and uh yeah that kit's really beautiful and it sounds really good um so i've had that for many many years now and then i I got a a duplicate kind of so i could have one at home Mm, okay and so that's i've had with me for the last i don't know five years i guess okay nice and um and so now I'm going to bring it back to California and both chocolate kits will be together. <laughs> <laughs> but the Willy Wonka album, we made a really crazy, more of a percussion kit, not like a drum set. You know, it had a 22 inch kick and it had the boom kick, a 24. Um, I didn't have a snare drum. I had roto, big roto toms and octobons that were lined up going up straight it was kind of more of a visual thing but it was more about uh like a soundtrack vibe so it was more about making i had to if you listen to the willy wonka you know there's no percussion in the music at all Mm. so when we did the willy wonka music you know we totally adapted it to our sound and i had i had to create you know all the patterns and percussion that went in and um the record's really interesting so i like how, it but that, kid, you, that kid was really strange you might be able to see photos online of it yeah i think i think there's a tour on like zildjian's youtube or something there's like a tour of it oh really yeah oh. i think it's some they caught you on a show or something so you get to see the kid a little bit how was oh, it playing cool. Primus songs on that weird setup? Were you mm. even... No, I didn't do that. Oh, uh, okay. So what we did was we would do our first, the first time we came out doing Wonka, I had just a simple, like, six-piece kit, or a seven-piece so I had a little seven-piece kit, one kick. I always like to have a floor tom on the left side next to the hi-hat because I have some songs where the patterns are have to be there for them to work. Mm. And so we would do like eight or nine Primus songs in front of a curtain. And then that drum set was on a riser. And then we would you finish the set and then go back and then when Wonka started we would open up the curtains and now we had this whole ah, cool. thing the <laughs> re- crazy kit but also connected to that percussion kit was a regular my regular 
kit because after the Wonka, we finished with all the more Primus stuff. Mm. So we do a set and then we did a big reveal, but the big set that I was doing Wonka and Primus, it, it was, you know, <laughs> like a 360 kit and it was connected and it was pretty awesome. Super cool. Yeah. So you mentioned you got the Rototoms kind of early on. I was trying to look back, like, when did all these things start popping up on your kit? You've always had a China, some sort of Rototom, an Ice Bell. Like, when did these these elements that I think are definitive for your sound kind of come into play? Well, the China, I always, you know, listened to Neil, and he had mm. a Wu, he had Wuhan Chinese symbols. And I, that's that once I got a drum set, I got one of those, you know, mm. and they weren't that expensive either. It was, and it sounded great and even sounded better when you break, break them and they would just get nastier. But, um, so the Chinese I've had ever since, um, the Chinese, the China symbol I've had since being a teenager. Mm -hmm. and the i i got a zildjian impulse ride in a used drums the drum store back in the 80s in scottsdale arizona it was all dirty it was sitting on the bottom but i wanted something that looked like that kind of looked like stuart copeland's ride symbol because i was really into the police at that time and this is in the 80s mm-hmm and so I found that symbol and I thought, oh, that looks a lot like it. So I, I got that. And it turned out to be a Zildjian impulse ride. And they don't make them anymore. Never heard of it. Yeah. It's So it's made, uh, I took it to the factory because they were thinking of trying to remake, the, remake it. And they measured it and they did all kinds of stuff with it. But the process is completely different. It's one piece of metal it's not i don't know how they do the others but it's not made the same way mm. but that's what makes it so amazing it has like these really high uh when you hit it with a stick it's got this interesting clarity but it washes out too if you want it to mm. so it's really cool but anyways i've had that since i was 17 or 18 even younger maybe oh is that still on your kit now yeah i've had it since then that's uh, wild and there's i have i think i have two of them but in case one broke someone sent me one since i was the only one that was using it. back <laughs> in the, back in the 90s i had that on my kit you know so that's been with me for a long time um, and for some reason, hi-hats, I, I always wanted the Z top because this, the, you could hear the sticks really clear, but the bottoms, I didn't, I wanted it softer mm. because when you have two Z, the real heavy metal ones, they just, they're so loud and just sounded like clanging metal. Mm -hmm. So I would have a Z top and like a a softer new beat on the bottom. So that's been my hi-hat setup forever. But recently during the rush, I was doing 
I think new beats more like Neil's mm. and now I think I'm You're hooked. I'm hooked. <laughs> yeah. I like it, you know, but yeah, and the ice spell came about, I don't know, man. I just, when I was messing around trying to have weird sounds, I found like these little Chinese bell kind of things and, and that's what too many puppies is on their recording. It's these mm. little, little Chinese things. And then, and then, um, Zildjian wanted to do like some kind of effects bell thing. And, and so I went there and, and they made all these kind of prototype things. And, you know, we, that's where the Zill bell kind of came about. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that 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 main effect started, yeah, in the eighties when I was just trying to put whatever weird sounds I could into my drum. Was set. this pre Primus or was it because of yeah pre Primus? I had those. Okay. Um, just trying to. I was listening. I was into a lot of world music, so I would. Um, trying to add gongs and all kinds of you know weird things mm. pieces of bamboo <laughs> you know so when did the octobons replace the rototom uh when i could afford it <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> yeah. it's such and a definitive stuart, sound for you at this yeah point. And, and stuart had them and and i i had been doing the rototom as my third tom but once i was able to like when i got that gretsch kit i think i lost the roto tom and i didn't have i don't think i had octobonds for that kit can't remember but um but then when i got the pork pie kit i had clear acrylic octobonds were made mm. But those sounded incredible. They just, they're just so clear and, you know, they sound amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so I've been using them ever since like that. Um, so, yeah. And then when did double kick kind of become part of your thing? Um, I've always done it. Uh, but I always did it with a double pedal mm-hmm. and getting two kick drums came when I got the pork pie kit. Okay. Yeah. I think that was the first, the first official setup. Yeah. So I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, but, uh, where does your approachable base kind of come from with the, the triplets and the flourishes? It's not, typical oh really well i mean maybe maybe now but it wasn't in 1991 when i first heard it you know yeah you know so i gotta say in the 80s there was a lot of computer you know drum machines were coming out and doing stuff um and 
let me see. I started, I was listening to a lot of world music in the eighties. I was in a band that played a lot of world music, you know, like Afro folk. Um, that was kind of the big thing then. And, you know, Peter Gabriel had some drum machine, was incorporating drum machines. And so I, when I got to California, I'm trying to think if I did anything before that. So I think what happened was I was kind of in my head thinking about being like a drum machine where I have this pattern and what if, what if the, you know, for most of the music, there's always the, the two and the four, one, two, three, four on the snare and the hi-hat's usually pretty steady. So I was thinking about, well, maybe I could make the bass drums a little more interesting. And I remember seeing, oh yeah, this was a big influence. This drummer, Rayford Griffin. Oh, okay. So he played with Jean-Luc Pony and he came to Scottsdale and did a drum clinic. It was the first drum clinic I ever went to. And I saw him playing like these double bass drums and I was just like, whoa, you know, <laughs> he was badass, man. Just incredible. He played with the left hand ride, but did everything right handed, you know, and mm. He was doing some incredible stuff. Um, that kind of sparked a fire in my head about double bass. And then uh, when I got to California and I was, I was into more, started getting into heavier music. Um, and the one thing that struck me was uh, was you know a lot of double bass stuff was all just right left right left right left right left just and i was and i was always trying to figure out unless you have different sounds oh my batteries get home let me plug this in um unless you have different sounds are you there Okay. Yeah. Unless you have, you know, one foot has a different sound. It's just going to sound like just one drum. It's going to be one sound, which works for some stuff. But for me, I was, I was thinking more of how to make grooves, but yet make the bass drum do more than just, you know, right, left, right, left, or just single one, two, three, four, you know, mm -hmm. trying to, trying to get into that and and the triplet thing kind of happened i don't really know where it began just you know sitting and practicing and doing like just kind of making the bass drum a little more interesting bass drum patterns more interesting underneath a groove and because that's kind of how i approach music in general is because uh a lot of times the less is bass stuff is 
pretty crazy. And so I, I, I gotta kind of make it feel good you know, mm-hmm. find a way to kind of, you know, uh, lay a groove behind it. That's interesting, but yet still feels good. So I was doing the same approach on the drums themselves. And then I started listening and then, um, late eighties, uh, you know, Metallica was getting big and there was the, there was the, uh, kind of moshing of rap and metal, you know, all these kind of things were happening. And so that was an influence on me. And then, um, you know, just, I, I think it, it all, stems from the idea of trying to make the bass drum a little more the patterns a little more interesting underneath the backbeat mm-hmm. so and that would come from uh like a drum machine where the hi-hat pattern might be doing one thing that never changed and then something else would happen and i was actually talking to steve smith about that which was crazy like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I started putting together this radio show and I interviewed him and then I lost it all because this was, this was right when podcasts were starting. There wasn't the equipment. Yeah. You know, I talked to him on the phone. I was trying to figure out how to record it. (laughs) but i've talked to him before about it and one of his you know he does that that song uh don't stop believing on Mm -hmm. journey that's the same thing it's it's kind of his way of mimicking a drum machine oh with all the layers and stuff yeah but how the patterns do different things over top of each other so it was it's it was the same thing you know in the 80s you're influenced by these drum machines who are cut they're doing doing all these different things at once but yet it still feels good so that's kind of where my bass drum stuff started um was that part of i don't don't really know the origin story of you getting into primus but it seems like your approach to double bass and les's approach to the bass are just perfectly matched they complement each other really well was that something right away like that's kind of something we gotta key well no we we uh kind of uh when we okay when i rehearsed or auditioned sorry i auditioned with les and todd the original guitar player we just played rush Mm. riffs we didn't know the songs, but we had the main riff, you know, we just <laughs> kind of jam that, jam that, jam that. So we got along doing that. Um, and I think it's just ingrained by listening to bands like Rush and Yes, uh, you know, our prog stuff in terms of playing, but also liking, you know, like I said before, Peter Gabriel, uh, his music um you know jerry Murata playing drums on that and tony levin on bass mm-hmm. you know we have those influences too so there was a lot of there was that kind of a mesh of technical but 
feeling good. And just the way he plays his bass was very funk, Larry Graham-like. And then me, I'm, I'm trying to make it interesting, but yet feel good. So I think that's just where it kind of comes together, you know, and fortunately that's, yeah, where we've been, you know, me and him have kind of created that little world of, <laughs> you know, or not created, but we've created the Primus bass and drum kind of right. vibe, you know? Yeah. Did you think there's, in no, 19... there's no real intentional thing to it though? It's just that's just how we play, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you think in 1989 that this is going to be what I do for the rest of my life? Um, you know, when I started doing this in the mid 80s, probably around 85, I start. I did my first gig and I made money up in Jerome, Arizona. That was when I knew like, oh, wow, I want to do this. Mm. I mean, this is what I want to do. This is what I've always thought of doing. And now I'm doing it. So I always dreamed of getting to that level where you're, you know, my idols were Zeppelin and Rush and, the big radio rock in the seventies. So that's what Van Halen, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I was always thinking of. And, um, but yeah, we, we, it, 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 it's amazing that we're able to still, you know, 40 years later, I think 89 to now. Yeah. Almost 40 years. Um, we can still go on tour. So yeah, it's amazing <laughs> as a band. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really a blessing. Well, sure. we've come to the hour and I, I'd like to ask okay. one final question of, of all my guests. Uh, what mm-hmm. was your first real snare drum? The Ludwig, I think it was the Ludwig one I got with that kit. So was that like a superphonic chrome over aluminum or something? Uh, that could be, man. It was just <laughs> a basic. It was just a basic snare drum that came with the Ludwig kit. It wasn't anything fancy, but um, yeah, things sound. You know, it was the one I had, so I used it in stuff. And yeah, you know, we used to use the. Uh, Back then, I used to tighten my snare super tight, and and I had this like uh, what's it called the that it's like bulletproof uh, material. Oh, the 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 phallum slant, the phallum, the Kevlar head, the the remote Kevlar. Kevlar. Yeah, I yeah. think that's when it first came out. I got marching one of those and I was just cranking it. That's the sound on like suck on this and frizzle fry. Oh right! It's so tight, so tight. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I destroyed yeah. an acrylite with one of those heads. I popped the lugs off of it. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that was so, the sound though. I remember doing the same thing, cranking everything. Yeah, that was like kind of it. But yeah, I don't want to go back to that. 
<laughs> hitting concrete, you know. Not oh good. man. Well, I appreciate you hanging. Um, is there any, you. Yeah. any news to share about other upcoming tour dates or anything? We got the new Sound Cipher record, of course. We want everyone to yeah, check it out. Push, push the Sound Cipher. We've got that coming up, and um, no, I've got nothing else happening right away. So awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's great to meet you, and hopefully I'll see you on the East Coast at some point. Yeah, man. All right, have a good one. For sure. All right, take care. Good luck moving. <laughs> oh, God, thank you. <laughs> and that is it for this week's episode. Again, if you're in Seattle or Portland, go check out Sound Cipher April 21st, April 22nd. I don't know how many more shows they're going to have after that, and go check out the new record for sure. Um, it's really cool. And be on the lookout for some Primus shows coming up. And as always, I appreciate you listening. If you haven't already, give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes. Uh, go over to our YouTube channel. If you're only listening to this in audio, make sure you're subscribing there. Drop some comments. Um, let me know if there's anyone you want to hear on the show. You can always email me at drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. And that's about it. So next week we do a deep dive, I think, on some snare drums. So I know I've been talking about a gear-focused episode, but things got shipped around a little bit to get Tim in there. So thanks for sticking in with me, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>